to this Martin Bailey Photography Podcast. Episode 49 Welcome to episode 49. This will be the last in the series of podcasts covering my travels around Oirase and Hokkaido in July 2006. I'll explain the importance of sticking with a subject on multiple visits to get you what you want, uh, with real-world examples as usual. If you haven't caught up on the first uh, episodes of this series, uh, although I'd say each one will be of interest as a standalone, uh, you might want to go back uh, to episode 46 where I started this trip in Oidase in the Aomori prefecture at the northern tip uh, of the main island of Japan, or from episode 47 in which I cover activities since making the crossing to Hokkaido, the very northernmost island uh, and the part of Japan which I personally find the best place to be for nature photography. After the amazing morning on Mount Asahi that we finished on last week, it was time to take a steady drive over to Utoro uh, on the Shiretoko Peninsula. If you've been following this podcast for a while, you'll probably have heard me mention before that Shiretoko is a registered uh, UNESCO World Heritage Site. There are two towns on the Shiretoko Peninsula, one on the northwestern shore which is called Utoro, and uh, one on the southeastern shore, which is uh, called Daos. Uh, Daos is where I shot the eagles that we looked at in episode 27. In episode 28, you might remember that we looked at a partially frozen waterfall, and that is just outside of the town of Utoro, where I plan to stay today. The main reason I came over to Shiritoko on this uh, trip was to go out on a boat on the following day, uh, which would be the uh, 20th of July. But for today, I wanted to visit uh, or revisit the Oshin Koshin Falls in the hope of bettering my uh, previous attempts to capture the beauty of this spot. I first shot the Oshin Koshin Falls back in August 2003 during my first visit to Hokkaido, but the over- overcast skies on the day left uh, the image falling short of what I had visualised. I'm not going to include the image itself in this podcast, but you can take a look at it. Uh, It's number 165 on my website uh, if you want to uh, see the results. Remember that to view images by number, you can go to martinbaileyphotography.com and input the number to the small field at the top of the main page or the podcast page, and then click the orange button to jump to the image. If you do look at image 165, you'll see a a shot that is actually two vertically uh, shot images stitched together. I had to do this as I was shooting with my 10D at the time, which has a 1.6 times crop factor, and even the 17 to 35mm f2.8 lens could not fit the entire scene in the frame. Because basically, uh, you know, I had, there's no way to step back uh, any further from the falls than I, I was standing to make this shot. I went back to these falls, as I said, in February this year, uh, and I got a nice shot of them partially frozen with a nice blue sky as well, but I really wanted a few clouds in the sky 
to, to break to break break uh, the time I visited in February was quite early in the day and that coupled with the low angle of the the sun in the winter sky uh, you might remember that the bottom of the falls uh, were in shadow again I won't include this image today um, but if you want to see the results of the February shoot take a look at image number 935 the first image uh, that I've included in this week's podcast though is the shot that I pretty much uh, wanted to get originally. It's my, the, the image that I had visualized um, back in 2003 and it's image number 1091. Here we can see an image from pretty much the same vantage point as the first two but this time I didn't need to stitch two images together. I was shooting with my Canon EOS 5D which is a full frame sensor camera. So using the 16 to 35 millimeter f2.8, I was able to fit the entire folds in the frame. This is one millimeter wider angle than my old 17 to 35 millimeter lens, but the main uh, factor is, is that I didn't have to contend with the 1.6 crop factor of my previous digital SLRs. More importantly for me on this day though, was that I had arrived shortly before 3 p.m. So there was no shadow across the base of the falls and I was lucky enough to get the sky that I'd been hoping for uh, with a couple of wispy clouds to break up the blue. I did use a circular polarizer filter to make the sky just a bit bluer but also to reduce the shutter speed by two stops to give the water that flowing effect. To increase the shutter speed even more I stopped down the aperture to f 22 and selected ISO 50. The result was a shutter speed of three tenths of a second. As I experiment more with uh, flowing water I've pretty much come to the conclusion that you need a quarter of a second or slower to get that effect that I like. Uh, so three tenths was just about going to be enough. Another thing that I like to do when confronted with a scene is see if there are any areas of the scene that would make for a good image if I picked out uh, and shot a close-up. Uh, in the next image, number 1095, we can see an example of this. Here I've shot a part of the center of the right side of the falls with the same f22 and ISO 50 for a slow shutter speed, this time uh, of one quarter of a second. As I say, one quarter of a second is about the limit to get the water looking like it's really flowing. Now, I find that this shutter speed, though, it does leave a fair amount of texture in the water instead of making it totally silky. I composed this image with a, a dark, almost fully revealed uh, rock in the left third section, but with the uh, patch of rock to the right along the edge of the frame, with the water running along the far right, uh, allowing us to see that there is more waterfall to be seen, uh, though leaving it to the imagination. The water in the centre of the fr frame hits uh, that small ledge and works its way diagonally down through the shot towards the left, uh, leading our eye through the shot and out of the bottom along with the water. Because of the various ledges in the rock uh, throughout the image though, uh, we can find lots of areas to go back to, keeping the image interesting despite its overall simplicity. The tip here would be then, uh, as I said, when faced with a scene, don't just be satisfied with the whole picture. Look for a small area or details that will make for a nice image all by itself. 
I shot this image at uh, 70 millimeters, so you would not have, had, have needed to carry around a really long lens just for this. But a nice medium to long telephoto lens, uh, if you have one, does help in most of the situations for getting in that bit closer. Once again, on my first visit to this area in August 2003, I shot an image that I revisited today. Although I was uh, relatively happy with the original, it was not what I'd visualised and I wanted to better it, basically. Again, not included in today's podcast, image number 166 is the first attempt to capture two rocks that I noticed jutting out of the Ohotsuku uh, Sea on my way into Utoro, just after the Oshinkoshin Falls we just visited. When I first spotted this scene, I shot a number of images, uh, including 166, which is basically... Uh, a shot in which I had the sun still quite high in the sky, but I exposed for the highlights in the water throwing the rocks into silhouette. At this point, though, I visualised another image that I wanted, and it was a sunset with the sun uh, actually setting between the rocks. Enough uh, sea is visible uh, between the rocks to make this a sunset with a difference. I went back on the same day, uh, shortly before sunset, and although there was... A heavy cloud on the horizon. I hung around in the hope that the cloud would break for a moment or two, uh, but it didn't happen. Basically, at this point, I'd got a, an image in my head uh, visualized and it was not to be. So, you know, I, it's one of those things that I, I put to memory and then try to revisit at some time in the future. And on this visit, once again, I went back to the same location at sunset in the hope of getting another shot. And the result is image number 1096. The sunset itself was not great, but there was enough red light reflecting from the nearby clouds, and the sun itself was only hidden by a cloud on the horizon for the last degree or so uh, of its path across the sky. And more importantly, uh, for the shot I'd visualised, uh, was that the sun's reflection on the sea uh, was just what I wanted. In my first attempt at shooting this location, I had uh, I had to shoot with a wide angle because the sun was still quite high in the sky. But this time, but this time, I was able to close in on the subjects that initially drew my attention, which are the rocks. You can see that I've cropped very closely to the top of the rocks in the top of the frame, and I included just about the same amount of space in front of the two small rocks in the sea at the base of the image. There's roughly the same amount of sea either side of the rocks too, though the top of the left rock is a little closer to the side uh, for overall balance. I had focused on the edge of the rocks to make sure that this was uh, that the line around the edges uh, of the rocks was sharp, but as I used an aperture of f16 at 58 millimeters, the hyperfocal distance is 7.1 meters, or 23 feet which basically means if I focus at anything past that, everything from there on out will be in focus. So the sun and its reflection uh, and obviously the clouds and everything are all in acceptable focus. The shutter speed at f16 with an ISO of 100 was 100th of a second. This does initially seem to be a little bit dark, uh, especially in the web version, but the brighter versions I also shot lose the atmosphere that I was after. Basically, I'm now happy that I've got something worthy of my web gallery and I'm probably uh, for my portfolio too. 
As you will now have realized, two of these last shots are the results of visualization and revisiting a location multiple times to get the shot. Later on, before we close today, I'll talk a little more about this, as I have another great example to come. But for now, let's continue our journey chronologically by moving on to the other reason I was here in Shiratoko, in addition to wanting to revisit these falls and the rocks. I had planned to go on uh, what they called a nature boat ride uh, on the 20th. Unfortunately, although the weather had been great on the 19th, my luck had ran out on the day of the boat trip. I called from the hotel before leaving uh, to check that the boat would go out and they instructed us, uh, that's basically what they, they asked us to do the day before. And the answer was yes. Uh, hopefully, that mist that we could see from the hotel would clear at some point after putting out the sea. Uh, but it was not to be. We did board the boat along with about eight or so other nature-loving passengers and sailed the choppy waters uh, for a while along the edge of the Shiritoko Peninsula. As this is a World Heritage Site, it's not possible to get any closer than the boat does in a number of places, but on the day, the mist was uh, just so thick that there wasn't much chance to see anything much at all. I was hoping for a chance to see maybe a deer, or even, uh, if I had amazing luck, a brown bear on the shore, which is sometimes possible here. But as you can see in image number 1097, the mist was quite heavy, uh, making it only really possible to see any detail, this much detail, uh, when we were as, uh, this close to the shore. I have uploaded this image, uh, and in fact only really talking about it today more as a documentary shot, so that I don't forget I was there. We travelled the whole length of the shore to the tip of the peninsula and could make out some of the great uh, waterfalls and scenery, and I photographed most of it uh, for posterity, uh, but uh, really that was it. There, there was very little else, uh, there was little other that I would like to share um, I kind of like this shot made at uh, f6.3 for 150th of a second with ISO 400. I was shooting with my 100-400mm lens at 250mm for this particular image. Technically, I was uh, pretty happy to have gotten the shoreline level at the bottom of the frame from a heavily rocking boat, that is, and I managed to compose the image uh, with the waterfall to the left and the four cormorants flying over to the right, uh, in the in the right third there, flying out of the frame. The birds do help to add some contrast against the paler, misty background, but I'm not overly thrilled with this shot. I'm afraid that the company that I chose for their promise to get in close, as only the small boat they use allows, uh, was perhaps more uh, sales patter or jargon than uh, something they were actually trying to achieve. At least uh, that was my impression from this day. It was incredibly cold out on the sea for this time of year uh, due to the mist and the wind factor from the boat uh, as it was speeding along. We travelled for a couple of hours uh, to the very tip of the Shiritoko Peninsula but again the weather was against us so nothing really to show for it uh, photographically. I did have my 600mm f4 lens ready on a monopod uh, for most of the time and I managed to get uh, a snap of... Uh, three dolphins, or more accurately, harbour porpoise, uh, or their backs, that is, as they surfaced around a hundred feet or so away. But that, uh, too, was uh, a pretty nondescript shot, uh, as they were just too far away. 
We did spend a few minutes uh, chasing them around, but as soon as uh, the boat got anywhere near to them and turned so that we could see them, uh, they sped off again, uh, making me think uh, once again that the, you know, the company that I chose were not really that good at this sort of tour. Originally this was to be the last day of the trip. The plan was to get off the boat and then drive as fast as I could, probably taking around seven hours or so to get over to the ferry port and then spend the night on the 20th uh, on the ferry uh, before arriving on the morning of the 21st and then spending the day taking a steady drive back to Tokyo, 600 or so kilometers away. Uh, if you remember back in episode 47 though, I briefly mentioned that I had been hoping to shoot the the standard image uh, of the uh, flower fields at the farm Tomita in Furano. We looked at image number 1049 in which I uh, showed you the poppies uh, that had started to bloom um, but were still a little sparse um, and therefore not quite completing the red stripe in the field that I was uh, looking for. I'd basically been too early for this red stripe in 2005 when I came uh, and like I say this point they were still a little sparse so they weren't quite there. Uh, even in my 2006 visit. So realizing that the timing of my visit this year was still just a little bit early, I changed my plans and extended the trip uh, by one day so that I could go back to Furano uh, one more time before getting the ferry back to the mainland. This was also partially because I was a little bit worried about uh, having to make such a long journey, the seven hour journey uh, to the ferry. And if I didn't make it, I would probably have had to have paid the ferry fee anyway. Uh, as you know, I'd, uh, I'd booked it in advance. We're going to take a look at three shots from this field now, as I want to explain my thought patterns as I made these shots. Firstly, I snapped the standard. Image 1099 is what I wanted uh, since my first visit to Furano in August 2003. This is the sort of image that is used in travel brochures for the Furano area and indeed for Hokkaido in the summertime. Today the clouds were perfect, nice and wispy, but uh, with a, a great blue sky. And the red line of poppies was exactly what I've been waiting for. I had to queue 20 minutes or so just to be able to get to the rope at the boundary um, of the side of the field between the hordes of other photographers waiting to make exactly the same image. People were trying to push in in front of me, but I, I sort of guarded uh, my position in the queue uh, pretty well. And then a guy from China uh, kindly moved his tripod slightly to the right uh, and allowed me to get uh, mine in uh, with the legs of my tripod between uh, his and the guy uh, on the other side. Once in, I spent uh, some time waiting for the cloud formation to improve and experimenting with various angles. Uh, the resulting first shot was made with my 24-105mm f4 lens for 1 30th of a second at f16 to ensure lots of depth of field. I was using ISO 100 and a minus one third exposure compensation uh, to keep the bright colours uh, of the flowers and the sky saturated but without looking underexposed. At this point I was a happy teddy. I had the shot that I'd been trying to get for three years. Uh, but as photographers we don't walk away from a scene uh, like this one uh, once we've got the standard shot. Uh, you know, we, we may even consider not even taking the standard shot. It's, uh, 
it's something that uh, I I like to do, but uh, you know we can even just walk past this. Uh, I moved ten paces to my right along the footpath at the edge of the field where there was no queue, uh, because everyone was only looking to shoot the standard image, and I positioned my camera for image number one one zero zero. This time, what I did was tried something uh, more original that I've uh, not seen done here. You may remember from episode 46 from Oirase, the first place I visited before crossing to Hokkaido the previous week, that I have been trying to include movement in still images by using a slower shutter speed uh, to purposefully introduce subject blur when the uh, subject moves in the wind. Now, if the entire subject is moving, this will just give you a totally blurred image uh, that might not be of any use at all. Uh, it could be, uh, you know, there could be a nice uh, abstract image gained in that way, but poss quite possibly uh, not what you're after. If just parts of the image is moving though, uh, I think that this can be quite effective. We can see in image 1100 that the barley in the foreground is swaying around in the breeze, with just a few heads of the barley sharp as they were stationary for long enough to register in the image. The movement in the scene is perhaps more prominent in the full-sized image uh, than on the web version, but I'm hoping that you can see what I'm getting at. I was using a circular polarizer, as for the last shot for that matter, uh, to get the blue sky as blue as possible. Uh, but for this image I also was using an ND8 circular neutral density filter. This gave me a shutter speed of half a second at f22 with ISO 100. Plenty slow enough uh, to introduce movement in the barley as the breeze caught, uh, caught it. And I did have to time the shot right as the breeze was not constant. A number of attempts, I think maybe seven or eight from of this exact same uh, composition and settings, allowed me to get one image in which a few heads of barley were stationary uh, so as not to go and overdo it. Now, I've taken the standard shot a little further here by experimenting a little, but I was still shooting with very similar perspective as the first shot. In image uh, 1101 though, uh, my favourite shot from this location, you can see that I've now switched to a much wider angle. I used my 16-35mm uh, f2.8 lens at 22mm with a shutter speed of 1/13th of a second now at f22 still at uh, ISO 100. The thirteenth of a second shutter speed was slow enough to give us some uh, subject blur in the barley, uh, so that there is uh, some effect that we see, or that we saw in the last uh, shot, but not as prominent. What's happening in this shot though is the clouds, as you can see, are radiating uh, out from a point somewhere just off centre of the image. Also, all of the bands of flowers are radiating out from a similar point, and the um, direction of the breeze that we can now see, uh, thanks to the slow shutter speed, is also radiating out from the same point. This gives us the feeling that the whole image is emanating from a place just left of center, and this is emphasized by the uh, wide angle. When viewed at full screen, you can actually uh, more clearly make out uh, around six people standing up on the right of the image to the right of that line of trees, uh, which actually adds scale and another point of interest. Basically, I'm very pleased with this image, and I'm so glad that I extended the trip to 
continue uh, and come back here a number of times uh, to enable me to get this uh, this what I think is a, a pretty a spectacular image, although I shouldn't say it myself. Of course, sometimes good planning and a touch of luck will help you get a winning image uh, the first time you visit a location. But as with the first few images we looked at today of the waterfall and the sunset between the rocks, and again with this last image, uh, which I, I do think is a real winner, uh, you need to persevere a little more and make the trip a number of times at different times of the year or different times of the day. I'm not saying that you won't get great shots if you don't do this. Uh, quite often you can get the shot you're after first time and I don't think that you need to spend months and months and many visits to get a shot uh, if you're lucky enough to get uh, something you're happy with first off. Of course, th some things will happen only once and trying to better them can be a waste of time, probably also a waste of money and effort. But also I find it to be very important to recognise that when something that you've got can be made better by further visits. Bear in mind that uh, the weather is something that we cannot control. I thought I was going to get uh, it just right with the timing of the poppies uh, blooming when I got to this location one week earlier as well. Um, you know, one week before this image. Uh, but it wasn't quite there. So even making the opportunity to visit uh, multiple times on a single trip, even extending the trip as I did this time, uh, just to get the opportunity is something that we may often find necessary to get the winning shot. It could, of course, have gone the other way. Um, it rained a lot throughout the uh, last week and today may not have been clear. The cloud formation that adds so much to this shot um, at this particular time, although I saw similar clouds during the day, at this location um, it, was, it only lasted a few minutes. Had I been in this position um, for maybe, well, maybe a few minutes earlier or later, I would not have got the image. In episode 11 of this podcast uh, from way back in November last year, I discussed how good planning is essential for getting yourself to a location at the right time. But often it's down to look as to whether you get that additional element or two to set your images apart from other photographers. In this image, I believe I've done that, uh, turning a very common image, a very popular location to photograph into something just a little more special. Experimenting and visualization, perseverance uh, at the end of the day, uh, and I guess that, that all-important element look, are what set your work apart from the rest. So moving on to the last few images before we close this series, let's take a look at image number 1103. In the field next to the one we've just looked at, there is a long band of sunflowers. I shot a number of images and the others are online if you want to take a look. Again, there's a link in the show notes to list all images from this trip. Uh, for this image, though, I decided to do something different again. You know that I love uh, shooting flowers with my macro, but a macro lens is not necessary uh, to fill the frame with a large sunflower head. What I did was decided to go the opposite way, and I used my 16-35mm to 2.8 lens to get a slightly different perspective once again. I shot this at 27mm at f uh, 2.8 at ISO 
100, which gave me a shutter speed of 1 640th of a second. At this wide angle, an aperture of f2.8 was enough to give me um, enough depth of field to get the black uh, stamen and the petals on the far side of the sunflower in focus, but also the near uh, side and the large green leaf in the foreground uh, is rendered quite blurred, which is the effect that I was after here. Also, the clouds in the sky are so far out of focus uh, as a result that I re it, they really just uh, look like a watercolour painting rather than a real sky. I also was using an angle finder looking down into the camera for this shot to allow me to easily get this angle looking up at the flower rather than uh, you know, the angle I would have got, say, had I just looked straight through the image. I'd have had to have bent down, um, and that, that's okay for, for snapping a shot, but when you're going to be uh, composing images, uh, which I did along a number of uh, flower heads here, it's better if you, if you don't have to strain yourself so much. So I was using the angle finder to make it easy to look up. Uh, I'm quite pleased with the results and I hope that you can also appreciate what I'm trying to do here. From here I had a few, few more hours uh, left before making a couple of hours drive over to the Tomakumai ferry port and I took a steady drive through the hills of BA that we also visited in the first part of this three-part series on Hokkaido. The sky was nice uh, for a fair number of times through the day, often showing up some streaky patterns throughout uh, my remaining few hours. And in image number 1108 from the Hokusei no Oka uh, view viewing platform, uh, you can see the last shot for today of the hills around BA, and also a nice sky, a nice big sky with those uh, wispy clouds. Shot at f16 for 1 80th of a second at ISO 100. There's nothing special about this shot and nothing that I really want to say about it other than this marks the end of my trip. I hope you've enjoyed this virtual tour around my favourite part of Japan, which is Hokkaido. So that's it. It's been a, a total of four parts when we include the first week in which we visited Oirase in the Aomori Prefecture. Like I say, I hope you've enjoyed the trip. Uh, if you have got even a fraction of the enjoyment uh, that I got uh, in travelling around the locations we've covered over the last four weeks, then I'm sure you will have done. Remember that you can contact me with feedback, good or bad, uh, either by registering at the martinbaileyphotography.com uh, website and sending me a private message via the forum, or you can use the contact form on the martinbaileyphotography.com podcasts page. I'm always interested to hear what you have to say, and I promise to reply to every mail that I receive, uh, so please do feel free to drop me a line. Finally, I'd like to just give you one last quick reminder that we are now into the last week of shooting for the Depicting Cultures assignment. You will be able to upload your entries until midnight on Sunday the 20th of August. So have a great week doing whatever it is you do, and thank you very much for listening. Bye bye.